Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's or sister's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for reading, James, and thanks, Kate, for leading. And you'll find a, an outline for the talk in your in your service sheets if you want to follow along. We're continuing, as Kate said, our series in the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, Jesus is teaching about kingdom living, how to live out the truths of the gospel as a community. It is radical, it's countercultural teaching, but it's teaching that we're meant to apply, we're meant to do. That is very clear if you look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, towards the end of chapter 7, where Jesus talks about the wise and foolish builders. If you remember that story, the guy who built his house on the sand versus the guy who builds his house on the rock. And, and Jesus is saying the wise person is the one who doesn't just hear Jesus' teaching and think, oh, that's interesting, there are some novel ideas there. No, the wise person is the one who puts that teaching into practice. They're like someone who built their house on a rock. And you know, if, if any group of people actually did that, put Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount into practice, they would be a community, they'd be a society like no other on the face of the earth. And for people looking in on such a community, they'd see something demanding, something challenging, but also something deeply, deeply attractive. The center of the sermon, as we've seen, is the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus instructs his followers to pray, Our Father. At the heart of what it means to be a member of Jesus' kingdom is a relationship with God as Father. Following the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives three warnings, three negative commands. If you look through chapter 6, you can see them. These are three things that will wreck your relationship with your Father. He says, firstly, don't store up treasures on earth. There is more to life than material stuff. And you'll get distracted from your relationship with God if you're full of greed. Secondly, don't worry about your life. You have a Father in heaven who cares for you and has promised to provide. And thirdly, beginning at chapter 7, don't judge or you yourself will be judged. We've looked at those first two over the last two weeks. This morning we'll look at the third. When you think about those three things, they are really marks of a secular society. A society that is moving further and further away from the knowledge of God as Father. A society whose view of life is limited to this material world. So the first mark, according to Jesus, of a secular society is storing up earthly treasure. There'll be widespread greed for material things, wealth and comforts. Of course, if this world is all there is. 
Second mark of a secular society will be increasing anxiety, stress. Of course, if you don't know you have a father in heaven who cares for you. And the third mark of a secular society will be a harsh judgmental spirit. That there'll be a cancel culture. Of course, if you don't know that you're a recipient of mercy. So this morning we're looking at Matthew 7, 1 to 6. And there are some curious sayings here, some humorous images, as we've already seen from the kids' slot. These verses are all about our relationships and particularly how we speak with others. And I think there's some vital lessons as we seek to live out our identity as family and our identity as missionaries in the world. So three points to guide us through. Firstly, don't judge or you will be judged. Have a look again at verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What does Jesus mean when he tells us not to judge? Judge is one of those words, isn't it, that has a range of meaning. It can mean simply to make an evaluation. You know, I misjudged the width of the stream and I ended up getting wet as I tried to jump over it. Jesus is not telling us to never make an evaluation. A few verses on, he warns us about wolves in sheep's clothing. And if we're going to recognize these false teachers, we're going to have to make some sort of evaluation, use some discernment, make a kind of judgment. Nor, I think, is Jesus saying we can never declare something wrong. Throughout this sermon, Jesus is teaching about kingdom living. He's teaching what is right and what is wrong. And so, as followers of Jesus, we should be able to take a clear stand on moral issues, on ethical issues, to say, that's wrong. Jesus is not forbidding that. Nor can Jesus be saying that we should never correct one another. As we'll see, he expects to take a speck out of our brother or sister's eye, which we will see later involves some correction. So what does Jesus mean when he says we're not to judge? Well, the commentators agree. What Jesus is forbidding is condemning others. Looking down on others with harsh criticism. Writing them off. Jesus says we must never treat people like that. And he says the way that we judge others is the way that we ourselves will be judged. So if we're harsh and condemning of others then we will be condemned. If we are merciful and forgiving, then we'll be shown mercy. Now, this is generally true on the horizontal level. It's generally true. Not always in every situation, but generally true. If you are a merciful person, not condemning others for their faults, then others will be gracious towards you. On the other hand, if you condemn people, if you refuse to forgive it'll come back to you. So it's generally true on the horizontal level, but it's also true vertically. If we condemn others, if we're judgmental in our treatment of others, consistently unmerciful, refusing to forgive, it probably reveals, doesn't it, that we've never received God's mercy for ourselves. And in the final judgment, yes, we will be condemned. Jesus made the same point immediately following the Lord's Prayer. If you've got your Bible open, look back to chapter 6, verse 14. 
He said, therefore, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. A British general once asked John Wesley, the 18th century evangelist. He didn't ask him. He said, I never forgive and I never forget. To which Wesley replied, then, sir, I hope you never sin. The way that we treat other people really reveals what we think about ourselves. Do you remember how Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount? With the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who know that before a holy God, they are spiritually bankrupt. And so they've come to Jesus to receive his righteousness. And Jesus says, poor in spirit? Yeah, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, blessed are those who mourn, who who mourn their own sin. They know that they're sinners and they deserve God's judgments. And so they've come to Jesus to receive mercy. And they will be comforted. A bit later, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. They're merciful to others because they know how much they need it themselves. And Jesus says, they'll be shown mercy. Now, if that is not how you view yourself, as spiritually bankrupt, a a sinner deserving God's judgments. Can I say gently, you don't yet understand the gospel. You don't yet understand what Christianity is all about. Because the gospel is not that I was a pretty good person who just needed a little something extra in my life that God has provided. No, the gospel is that I had rejected God and I was guilty before him under his condemnation, and there was nothing that I could do to change that. No amount of good works could cancel out my sins. But God, in his great mercy and undeserved love, came in Jesus to deal with my guilt, to pay the penalty for my sin when he died in my place on the cross so I could be forgiven, and he's reconciled me and adopted me as his very own child. That is the great news of the gospel. And when you've personally tasted and received God's mercy, well, then you can and you will show mercy to others. And if we find in our hearts a judgmental spirit towards others, it probably reveals that we've lost sight of, that we've forgotten the great mercy that God has shown to us. Or maybe we've never received it. Either way, we need to come to Jesus. And in humility say, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked, come to you for dress. Helpless, look to you for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. So don't judge or you will be judged. Secondly, be unhypocritically helpful. Look again at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. 
Note here, Jesus does not say that we shouldn't help each other. In other words, not judging each other doesn't mean not helping each other with sin, which I think Kate was right to interpret this bit of Jesus' teaching as. He's talking about, when he says a speck in your eye, he's talking about a sinful flaw, a a sinful habit or tendency. And Jesus is saying, you need someone to help you. In Jesus' day, they didn't have good mirrors. So if you had a speck of sawdust in your eye, it would have been very difficult for you to get it out yourself. You need someone else to help. You know, sometimes we're blind to our own flaws and we need other people to put us straight, to say, you know, maybe a difficult thing, to alert us, wake us up to something in our lives that we can't see, to correct us, encourage change. But we need people to do that in the same way that you get a speck out of someone's eye. In other words, very carefully, very gently. You know, if you've got a speck in your eye and someone comes at you with pliers, that is not going to happen. Don't come anywhere near me with those bad boys. Even tweezers? No. How about a tissue? And, And do it really gently. We need people to be gently, but we do need people to do this, to help us. Because we've all got flaws, and we can't often see them, and we can't get them out ourselves. So we need to give people in our lives permission to speak into our lives. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to have people in your life who you've given permission to speak, to say a hard thing? It's kind of what we're trying to do in our DNA groups, to have such a depth of relationship and trust that we can say what we see and help and encourage one another with the struggles we all face. But if we're going to have any hope of doing this without bruising and offending each other, left, right, and center, we've got to make sure that we're dealing with our own sin. Jesus is saying here, don't be hypocritical in your correction of others. Don't don't try and help someone with a speck while you've got a great big plank sticking out of your eye. He's being deliberately humorous. It's a bit like, I was thinking, you're at a restaurant and you see a couple at the next door table and the husband reaches over and says, uh, d- darling, you've just got a little, little bit of food there on the, the side of your mouth. All the time he's got a big slice of pizza stuck on his face. Jesus knows that we're all prone to excuse our own faults, minimize our own sin, and magnify the faults of others. You know how it goes. I'm quiet. You're a bit unassertive. He's a wimp. I'm concerned. You're curious, she's nosy. I drive with the flow of traffic, you go over the speed limit a bit, he's reckless. So we need to first look inwards and be dealing with the sin in our own lives before we try and help each other. And if we are doing that, if if we're allowing God's word and spirit to convict us and transform us, we're going to be much more compassionate in our dealing with others, aren't we? We'll say, I sympathize with you. Because I used to have far more than a speck in my eye. Let let me tell you how God has helped me. I'm sure we can get the speck out too. Rather than being proud and self-righteous, we'll be humble 
rather than being judgmental, will be merciful and compassionate. Now, there is a danger here, isn't there, that that we think, well, I can't help anyone with anything until I've dealt with everything. Like, I need to be perfect. Otherwise, I'll be guilty of hypocrisy. I I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. The the important thing is that, yes, we're, we're conscious of our own sin, and we are dealing with it. We're seeking and receiving God's forgiveness. And therefore, we're not approaching each other with an attitude of superiority, but rather drawing alongside as a fellow struggler. So can you see how these two, these first two points kind of hold together and create a, a beautifully balanced posture? We're not to be judgmental, but we are to bring correction. We're not to be abrasive, but neither are we to be cowardly. We need truth and love. I don't know where you kind of see yourself on that spectrum. Some of us are more reserved. We don't like to rock the boat. The boat. We don't like to rock the boats. That's me. I'm a peacemaker. Sometimes a peace faker. Others are more bold. You're quite happy pointing out other people's flaws. You're a straight talker. Sometimes a bit brash. But we need a balance. We need humble confidence, gentle assertiveness. It is a rare combination, but it's beautiful. You see it in Jesus perfectly. But how can we become more like him? How can we become that sort of community, a community of truth and love? People who are not so cowardly that we don't speak, but not so abrasive that we bruise people when we do. The only way we can become that sort of person is through the gospel. Through the message of the cross which humbles us to the dust and lifts us to the stars. The gospel that tells us we are so sinful, Jesus had to die for us. Yet we are so loved, he was glad to die for us. And so you're humbled and you're gracious and you're compassionate in your dealings with others. But you're affirmed and you're secure and you're unafraid to speak with courage. So don't judge each other, but do help each other. Can we be that kind of community here at Barney's? I think we already are to some extent. And I trust we can grow in it more and more. Okay, finally, verse 6. I was tempted to leave this verse out because I'm not totally sure what it's talking about. But I think... It's actually continuing a similar theme, that that Jesus is still talking about our relationships and our speech. And in particular, he's telling us to be discerning in what we share with others, especially those who don't yet believe. So look again at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. All right. When Jesus talks about what is sacred, when he talks about pearls, most commentators agree he's talking about the gospel of the kingdom. He's talking about the preciousness of relationship with God as Father. A bit later on in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, he likens the kingdom of heaven to a very precious pearl and a merchant who sells everything he has to get it. 
it's not totally clear what Jesus, who Jesus has in mind when he talks about dogs and pigs. Both animals were unclean animals according to the Old Testament law. Again, a bit later in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus describes Gentile people, non-Jews, as dogs. So is Jesus saying we should never share the gospel with someone who is outside the kingdom? No. He can't mean that because he's already said in Matthew when he called his disciples he's going to make them fishers of people. And at the end of the gospel with the Great Commission he commands his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. So who are these people that Jesus refers to as dogs and pigs? All we're told about them in this verse is how they respond. We're told they may trample these sacred things, these pearls, under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So they're people who reject what's being shared with them, the gospel of the kingdom. They, they don't value it. They rubbish it. And, and they respond to the messenger with hostility. I'm not sure we can be definite in how we understand what Jesus says here, but there does seem to be a clear call to being discerning. One commentator says, while we should not prejudge who may receive the message, neither should we try to force it on those who show no inclination to accept it. So you know some people that they hear the gospel and they fall in love. They fall in love with Jesus. They see that peace with God, a relationship with God as Father, is the greatest treasure in the world. And they're willing to give up everything to have it. Other people, they hear the gospel and they're unmoved. It's like it doesn't penetrate. They don't get it. They're not gripped by it. And so they reject it. It's nothing special to them. They trample it underfoot. And sometimes they may respond aggressively. You know, how dare you tell me I'm a sinner? How dare you tell me I deserve judgments? And I think Jesus is saying, don't push the gospel on people who aren't ready for it. Be discerning as to where people are at in their spiritual journey. Honor the pace of God in their lives. Give them the truth at the rate they can bear it. You know, I think this actually ties in with what we were looking at in the mission training workshop that there are stages along the path to faith and we need to be discerning in how we seek to love and witness to people at each stage. You know, when I share my testimony, my story of coming to faith, I used to say, when I was 13, that's when I first heard the gospel. I've tried to change my language. And now I try to say something like, when I was 13, that's when I first remember understanding the gospel. Because I'm pretty sure I heard it before then. Probably multiple times. It just didn't penetrate. And so it felt like I was hearing it for the first time. But earlier on, in my earlier life, I was like an animal. I just didn't get it. Rejected it. I needed God by his spirit to open my heart to the message and enable me to believe. So let me say, if you're someone here this morning who isn't yet gripped by the gospel, it is great to have you here. And Jesus would say to you this morning, it is the greatest treasure in the whole world. Keep looking at it.
and ask God to open your eyes to, to see it and receive it. So we need to be discerning in what we share and the pace at which we share. Again, this is not an excuse for inactivity or cowardice, but rather to prayerful discernment. Ultimately, Jesus is the pearl. Jesus is the greatest treasure. In our natural state, we're all like animals toward him. When he came, Isaiah 53 tells us, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. But surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed trampled underfoot for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we're healed. If you see Jesus doing that for you, going to the cross, crushed in your place, dying for your sins, then you will be humbled and you'll be affirmed. And you'll become the kind of people who we need if we're going to be a community that lives out the values of the kingdom. A community that truly is the light of the world. A community of truth and love. A community that doesn't judge, but does help and is discerning and courageous in our witness. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to the truth of the gospel more and more. That the glorious truths of the kingdom, of your great mercy towards us in Christ, would be so resonating in our hearts that it would bear fruit in our lives. That we would be people, we'd be a community that is non-judgmental but rather merciful, that is seeking to gently help, correct and encourage one another, giving each other permission for that because we recognize we need it. And a community that is discerning but also courageous in sharing this precious message with those around us. We pray all this for Jesus' sake. Amen.